Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business, presented by FL Montreal. Dan Delmar and Mike Newton with you on our first show of 2022. Welcome back, Mike. Happy New Year, Dan. Uh, definitely uh, nice to be back. Um, I think the 2022 uh, brings a lot of hope and a lot of uh, excitement for a lot of people as we you know, hopefully continue to reemerge uh, from COVID and we try and work our way back into uh, our offices and our jobs, albeit in a, in a different form. There's no doubt that, you know, the reintegration of people coming back and, and one of the things we'll get to with Natalie at the end is this discussion of a seamless reintegration. Um, and, uh, you know, very, very interesting to see where it goes over the next little while. The, the playbook got thrown out around March 13th, 2020, and uh, I think we're still in the process of writing a new one. We'll talk about some of the key themes we've been um, hearing a lot in business lately, including resilience and pivot. You know, 2020 was sort of a lot about the pivot, the pandemic pivot. 2021, a lot about resilience. And 2022, Mike, maybe it's about looking forward and uh, and being a bit more innovative, uh, even a little bit more creative about the way we do things at work. 100%. I mean, we, we, we've been in, you know, we went from the physical lockdown mode to the emotional and, and, and psychological lockdown mode. I mean, we have to get people back and, 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 and they need to come back creatively. They need to come back physically and emotionally. Uh, it doesn't mean we're ever going to see the five day a week work week, in, work week in the office like we used to. Uh, so I think our creativity is going to revolve around how do we work hybrid? How do we get things done? But there's no doubt that we cannot continue to languish in, in what has been a very difficult time. And I think the hardest part of the last six months has been pretty much that. I think people had an expectation that, you know, once the vaccine started to hit uh, everybody in the arm, that uh, that we were going to come back full force. And it's taken longer for everybody to, to re-involve. And I, and I think we need to, to kind of shake ourselves off a little bit. And hopefully everybody's uh, 2022 New Year's resolution is is about shaking off some of that dust and, and getting themselves back into uh, back into gear. And for our thought leadership segment, let's bring up uh, this piece from the Harvard Business Review on creativity and specifically sort of the three reasons um, the three common fallacies about creativity, and uh, they have to do with productivity, with intelligence, and with brainstorming. Um, nailing down creatives, Mike, this is a big part of what I do, but it's not easy. It's it's very difficult to, to work with myself, my own creative brain, but also to manage a team of creatives. It, it requires some planning. It does. And, and I think the hard part in, in all of these things and, you know, whether you can say that they're fallacies, which the article does, or whether it's just to say of understanding the environment with which you're working. Um, you know, there was an article uh, a few weeks ago or a few months ago uh, on uh, Google's CEO, and they argued his slow decision making process stifled innovation. Um, you know, you can argue that the article incorrectly equated decision-making speed with innovation, you know, and, and I think it's a question a lot of people have asked over the years, does speed equal productivity? Uh, and I think it depends on, on your environment. I mean, if you're, if you're sitting uh, working uh, on machines in a factory environment, then speed, I think in many cases, so long as the system is running efficiently, is in fact productivity. But when you bring into creativity, you know, as well as I do, if not better, that, you know, you can't put a time frame on creativity. You can't say, okay, I need need you to have this creative idea by 5 p.m. so that we can go live tomorrow. And, and, and a lot of people, especially in those, uh, you know, in, in, in kind of the, the older sciences, if you will, as, as accountants traditionally are, first of all, have some issues with creativity. And second of all, you know, you don't, don't put a time frame on it because you're really going to, you're going to throw them off. The one thing I want to mention is the brainstorming process, because there's a lot of time that can be wasted in those 
processes and those meetings, right? So I think one thing I will want to put out there is that having an actionable, having a way forward, having a bullet point list of to-do stuff is really a great way to come out of a creative meeting and to make sure that everyone sort of takes you to the next creative plateau in a sense. So that's that's the way that I find, uh, I, I try to work around that. I don't ask for much in these brainstorming meetings. I just ask for something, for some direction, for for some way to advance this, the cause. Yeah, it, it's a hard environment and you sit a bunch of people around the table. You've got dynamics that, you know, that they're working with daily outside of this room and whether that is uh, fear, whether that is hierarchy, uh, you know, you've got to kind of rewrite the, ru- the rules when you walk into a brainstorming session and say, you know, everything's fair game. There's no bad idea. There's no stupid idea. Um, it was very interesting. I actually read an article a little while ago that, that one of the things when you're going into a creative brainstorming environment is the leader should start off and ask, start off with the most ridiculous uh, creative idea possible, and then ask everybody around the room to come up with something equally ridiculous. And and what it does is it breaks the ice. It, It takes away the hierarchy. It takes away the dynamic that you walked into the room with. Because if you don't, brainstorming, I mean, you may have two or three great people, but are not used to talking in public, not used to talking in front of a group, you're not going to get anything out of them, or you're going to get a bunch of yes people at the end of the day. And, and we all know that from a brainstorming perspective, you need honesty and you need openness. I want to talk about higher education for a moment, because that industry, uh, really, I think we should consider it an industry, is being disrupted in the States. You know, there are things like Masterclass, for, for example. You know, a lot of schools are going online. Harvard has a really robust online program now. Some universities are doing it better than others. But how, in general, um, should higher education institutions be better preparing people for uh, for these new realities? Because we're still kind of caught up in, in many cases, in sort of the, the campus-centric atmosphere and that's not where workplaces are going it's a very interesting conversation dan because i know that the model i've had with a lot of people that are either in university or considering going to university is what exactly is university supposed to be doing for me these days i mean we go back you know centuries or we go back decades and we say this was supposed to be a creative environment for thought leaders and 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 different It, it then went from there to you know trying to produce uh, you know, workforces and, and, and we somewhere along the way have lost the connectivity between, uh, you know, am I going to university because I want a job at the end and how do I get there? Or am I going to open the mind and, and, and create a, a more uh, well-rounded individual? And, and, and I think there's a, there's a big disconnect between industry and schools. And, and I think there needs to be a much larger collaboration. And there's a couple of universities in the States right now, which I think are really starting to focus on this. And I think this is going to be something that we're going to see a lot more of. And, you know, we've always had, uh, you know, kind of those environments where you had a co-op or you had a work stash or whatever. They seem to go by the wayside. They were hard to coordinate. There was a lot of training time, you know, post uh, the great, uh, great recession. uh, You know, a lot of education uh, was cut down within business, didn't have time to train people. So what ended up happening is the co-ops, the the, the kids that were in these co-op programs were not getting enough experience, or they were looking to go in to four different, you know, you had four work sessions. I went to four different businesses. So I wanted to see, which I guess is a little bit the world we're living in today, right? It's about variety. Unfortunately, there was never this, this buildup of technical skills or, 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 or positivity to what's going forward. And I think what we are missing right now, and, you know, one of the universities is what they're called, they're, they're operating and, and working in what they're calling the higher train deploy model. And, and the goal ultimately at the end of the day, through the universities and, and, and the schools is we're going to see, I think, more and more of these technical programs, these these 
these career programs than we are going to see because I think a lot of the kids that are coming out are starting to think that it's great for me to be well-educated, but do I need three or four years of university to know what's going on in the world? I can go online. Give me something I can use in life. Real quick, Mike, six overrated human traits, according to science, this from Forbes.com. I'll note that one of them is charisma. And I've had a lot of business leaders saying, you know, step up the charisma, do more networking and all that. And I'm like, eh, do I have to? I think I'm good. Well, I'm going to tell you that this is something that, you know, 32 years in a profession, I've said from day one that an hour is not equal to an hour, which is not equal to another hour. Everybody works at a different speed. Everybody's productivity is very different. So I think a large part of what this article was talking about is turning around and saying to you, hey, guys, you know, if you don't have that underlying skill set, if you are not producing, if it's not there, then, you know, confidence and mindset and, and authenticity and engagement and even charisma can only take you so far. I mean, you can only fake it to make it long enough and if you don't have the skill set underneath and 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 part of this is is a problem is i think we've we, we've tried to make our work environment so culturally diverse so open and so warm that we have put that culture ahead of a skill set and 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 when we go to hire we need to keep the people that are doing a lot of the work i mean some of the stats are astronomical you know and it's a 2080 rule where 20 percent of your people do 80 percent of your work so it begs the question what are the rest doing and speaking of the durability of some businesses, we're going to profile a business which has been uh, active now in Quebec since 1889. So they are used to the to the pivots. They're used to the fluctuations and to the evolutions. And we'll be we'll be speaking with Anne Marie Trudeau of Trudeau Corporation. And uh, this family business is super interesting. We all know the brand name. There's a good chance that you have something in your cupboard uh, from this company right now. Let's welcome Anne-Marie Trudeau, president of Trudeau Corporation, specializing in tableware, houseware, everything for the kitchen. Anne-Marie, welcome. Thank you so much, Dan. It's really fun for me to be here with you today. So just first, the starters, the extra, the extra easy question. Um, what is Trudeau Corporation? Trudeau Corporation is a 132-year-old family business founded by my great-grandfather, um, we uh, are a uh, housewares brand, and I want to say that we accompany you throughout your life. We're kind of uh, your partner in crime and your lifestyle. And so we are um, business based out of uh, Boucherville, Quebec, uh, not far from uh, 20 minutes south of Montreal. Um, we have uh, offices in uh, Boucherville, in Toronto, in Bolingbroke, Illinois, in Hong Kong, and in Madrid. Um, and we basically design out of Montreal and Bolingbroke. We design a lot of products on an annual basis. We uh, <clears throat> manufacture them either in Europe or in Asia, and then we distribute them uh, around the world, basically. Uh, a lot in Canada, a lot in the U.S., throughout regular retail, and then in uh, some countries in uh, Asia, Middle East, and South America, and Europe. Great to see a, a Quebec-based family business that has such a wide reach across the world. Um, you know, you, you rattled off a number of a number of countries. Do you have an idea of how many different countries you are in, just to give our audience an idea of the magnitude? Yeah, we do. It's about, I would say now, it's, it used to be a bit higher, about 70. We're now in the 30s because of the fact that we used to um, develop product under the Disney umbrella brand. We did for about 27 years. We developed kids' tableware. And we did that with Disney, Warner Brothers, my God, Viacom, uh, tons of licensed, um, uh, huge companies like them. And um, we decided to opt out of that business a couple of years ago. It just became such a commodity war that, you know, everybody was getting in the licensing business, a lot of consolidation in that market. 
Um, and so with that, it really allowed us actually to really focus on the Trudeau brand and uh, tabletop uh, glassware, kitchen accessories, mills, spices on the go and all the various categories that we are in today. Um, and so, yeah, we're in about 30 countries overall. Must be some interesting experience based on the private label brand and and, and trying to build uh, into that marketplace with the Disney's and the Viacoms and everybody else. It's, it's amazing to to see how many people try to move into that sector. Uh, you guys tried it and moved back out. Uh, what would you what would you uh, would you say are the biggest issues that you guys came across other than the commoditization of the product? Is it relationships? Is it um, mostly it's the fact that, you know, the, the, uh, the industry has evolved, the consumer has evolved. And so consolidation made it commodity. So made it that frankly, it just wasn't an interesting financial proposition. Number one, that's always, I'm a, I'm, I'm addicted to numbers and facts. I love fact-based analysis. So that helped us a lot to remove the emotion and to make a, a fact-based decision. Um, now it was a phenomenal, uh, gift to us and it was really very positive to do these brands like Disney, uh, because they taught us a lot. Together, we, you know, throughout the years, we were uh, privy, in fact, with it, with one of the largest brands in the world to really be sensitive to product um, social compliance and dealing with our undermakers and, and uh, very, very testing issues, quality issues. So often I, I, I tell us, I tell our team that our customers really help us step up our game. And that's what those big licenses and those huge corporations did. It really helped us to become just a better supplier, to tell you the truth. And, and you learn, and that's really something that I always think is, is, is key in business is to uh, understand uh, first, to analyze it and learn and, and take value from it and make sure that whatever is good out of that you implement. And that can actually be be said of anything in your business world that, that you need to approach. So, and, and, and we do still do private labels. So it's not something that we have stopped doing on the contrary. It's always something that contributes um, to our business, but building a brand is what is, is my passion and certainly what motivates me. And to your point, to keep a Quebec based company, you need to build a brand. And that's what I get up every day for is to contribute to the Quebec economy, to make sure that we stay Quebec, we grow this brand and uh, there's no reason why we can't. And we compete with the largest companies in the world that are in our same, in our same uh, industry. So maybe let's take a step back into some of the history. It's a good point in terms of dealing with Quebec uh, and, and our roots. I mean, you're talking about a company that goes back into the 1880s, um, mm. you know, a true success story. And, and I say that not only from a financial success, but the transitory success of, of generation to generation, which we all know the statistics just completely get ground down by the time you get three, four, five generations deep. Yeah. Um, maybe give us a little bit of history of the company, what market you were initially in, how the concept came about and, uh, and and the evolution so my great-grandfather started the company with a french uh with a frenchman with someone that was based out of france and they were um actually importing um smokers accessories and pipes and so back in the 1880s obviously most everybody smoked in fact it was just it was part of the lifestyle you know um, and so, uh, so importing and working with various countries has always been in our DNA. And basically, they were involved in those types of products. And then eventually, they started selling um, a lot of very a lot of religious articles, like rosaries and little statuettes. Why? Because we were getting into the First World War and the Second World War. And so, lifestyle again. People were religious. People were going to church. People or or or, or whichever. So of course, it was more Catholic than Jewish or any other religion. But it was a true 
it's it was actually like take a snapshot of what the Quebec um, you know uh, society was doing at the time. And basically, my grandfather, my great grandfather, was looking and finding opportunities to be commercial, very instinctive. You know, a commercial instinctive salesperson and just was selling this stuff. And then the company grew on other types of products. My my grandfather. Uh, when my grandfather took over, my grandfather was on the business for a very long time because he went to the Second World War. Um, and uh, and that took a lot of time. And I think that, you know, when you talk about generation and, and trans, you know, passing on companies into further generations, there's it's it, one of the I think humbly I could tell you that one of the reasons that things these trans these, these transfers don't happen or there's issues with them is that. There needs to be um, a parallel system within the organization. There needs to be very clear communication. When I say parallel system, you need probably outsiders that come and evaluate the talent, the capabilities, the ability of the family members, if the family members wish to continue to carry uh, the company forward. Um, so my grandfather was not involved in it very, very long. And at the time, they became, became a bit bigger. And there was, you know, they, we had a shop on uh, Notre Dame Street in old Montreal, uh, between like, uh, not far from the, um, from the courthouse or from the, so the cathedral. And we were there for many, many years. I remember as a little girl going there and loving to hang out there. Cause it was like, it was on seven floors and the warehouse was on the top six floors, like go figure, you know, and they would move stuff around on the elevator. It just, it made no logistic sense whatsoever. But at the same time, everything was slow. Then, you know, you used to send a letter across to Europe or to whatever country you were importing from. So you, we understand that the business was so much slower. Like we, we it's so hard for us to project ourselves then because we just don't understand how can that, now I send an email and within an instantaneously, I get a response back from a supplier. And then 30 days later, apart from this year, I get the goods. So the point being, um, when we were in those years, so I'm talking about the 50s and the 60s, it was really kind of a, a mixed a bazaar of all sorts of giftware uh, and, you know, ashtrays and jewelry. We sold a lot of jewelry. And then eventually we got into the living room and we started selling uh, statuettes and, and crystal vases and, you know, porcelain, uh, I don't know, little uh, elephants, all sorts of decorative stuff because people had fancy living rooms or, or, or rather not necessarily fancy, but they really spent it. It was more traditional. So you weren't really in the kitchen. Look at today's society. Our kitchen is probably the most important room. Everything is open concept, big kitchen islands and this and that. So basically the Trudeau company has always adjusted itself to whatever was happening in consumer trends and the lifestyle trends that were in. and we've been trying to always keep ahead of the game to evaluate to determine what will be the next lifestyle trends and then be right on time with the product so that was in the in the 70s if you want in the 80s the living room the fancy product we distributed brands like baccarat lalique which is extremely high-end a crystal and a glassware. And we were selling at the time with the retailers that were doing well. So with the Burks of the world and with Eaton's and all those department stores, um, this is, I'm talking to you even before Walmart and Canadian Tire existed, or certainly decided to get into, Walmart decided to get into Canada and Canadian Tire were really still selling tires and skates and hockey sticks. 
And so um, that was in the 80s. And I would tell you about late 90s, that's when my father had the vision um, with his team to build the Trudeau brand. So at the time, he was always kind of traveling around the world, getting different lines, and then eventually started doing some lines in plastic, so patio wear. So he started getting a little bit more into the kitchen. And he thought, you know, now I think we need to do more stuff for the kitchen. Um, and that's how, how we became, if, if you want, the Trudeau brand. And he was, he was importing all this product. But he was calling it all different types of names. And then after a session, he decided to launch the Trudeau brand. So that was in the mid-90s. And then the company grew as well as developing a lot of you know, product uh, for kids under the Disney umbrella. That also gave us and various other brands. And so we really moved into the kitchen, developing the brand, getting to know um, and make sure we have a lot of PR so people understood what the Trudeau brand stood for, which has always been innovation and great quality uh, and great value for the quality that we have. Um, and it's basically since the, since the 2000s, we really grew that whole uh, business side of the business. Like I said, we not too long ago decided to no longer do kids products or license be in that business. Not to say we wouldn't be tomorrow. Who knows? I've learned with time that you have to always keep an open mind and, and, and look at where the business is going. Uh, and like I said, it gave us a tremendous amount of um, uh, know-how. And uh, I think it made us a better company and a better brand. And, uh, and that's where we stand today. So we are still in the kitchen. We're a little bit in the patio. We're a bit in the car. We do products uh, to bring lunch or, or to-go cups to bring your coffee in your car and lunch to the office or, or on a picnic. And uh, Mike, um, you know, there was the, the, the pivot in the 90s, uh, expanding the definition of what the product was, uh, becoming more of a lifestyle brand and taking it up to today. Um, the business, I, I think, is, is very design forward. It's, it's a really, um, they take their time to design the products and it's, they always look a bit different, a little bit more ergonomic, perhaps. There's something, something interesting going on there. Yeah, and, and it's fascinating listening to Anne-Marie talk about the history. Uh, the one thing that stood out to me is this reinvention, this constant seeing what the market needs, finding that place in the market, designing, you know, uh, showcasing, whatever that case is, is in, in order to drive the company forward. So clearly for 130 years, you've done a great job of reinvention. I got one main question. How yes. do you maintain a family culture and the culture within your employees if you are constantly reinventing yourself? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's not simple, but to me, it's really simple, actually. Uh, the culture of, of reinvention um, is because I like to surround myself with people that are much better than I am and know a lot more, whether it's in design, whether it's in uh, you know, analyzing uh, artificial intelligence for data and trends, whether it is uh, what is going to be the next color for next year. Um, so a culture of innovation and reinvention um, comes from, for sure, me setting the stage to say, this is what, as a, a, together, we will determine what our culture is. And to tell you the truth, there's been, since I've been president, there's been a lot of changes within the company. We've, we've really transformed many aspects of it. And I would say that the one thing I'm so thankful for from COVID is that it fast, it allowed us to go even faster in our, in our transfer or evolution. Okay. So it's an evolution. And so of course, when you're 132 year old, um, the past is a past. That's great. And as one of my mentors says to me a lot, I've got two eyes and still look forward. And so what's important is to always kind of tell ourselves, so now what? Because, you know, with COVID, what happened is we got, we got tsunamis every day in a lot of different 
terrible, tragic situations for some of us. And in business, you know, it was one thing after the next, after the next. So you have to have amazing resilience, um, which is maybe an overused word, but you still need it. And you also often say, okay, so that's a, that's a shame that this happened. Now what? So it's that curiosity. And I think that at the end of the day, if I value it and I align, I spend a lot of time aligning um, the people and I also communicate a lot. So we've set, implemented, we do a lot of town halls. So at least every two months, I speak to the entire company, but it's not just me because it's not about me. It's about the, fat, the Trudeau community. It's about the Trudeau um, team. And so all my executives present where they're at in their different departments, uh, their challenges, their wins. So a lot of communication. Uh, that's a long answer, right, that I'm giving you. But I think, I think for a culture, um, you know, culture, you know, someone said, uh, I think it's, a, I don't remember which CEO from which company, you probably know, but someone said culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, I think it's from Microsoft CEO or something. And so, and it's so true because if, if the culture is one that you are happy with and that your, every, your whole team aligns to, chances are you'll be super successful. Tell me about uh, your design aesthetic or your design direction. Um, a lot of the products uh, are look a little different. They seem maybe a touch more ergonomic. Uh, what, what am I putting my finger on there? You're putting your finger probably on uh, the something that's in the water in Quebec. Uh, I think that as, as we know in Quebec, uh, from the Cirque du Soleil to, uh, you know, um, what's that company that does the lighting show? Uh, a moment, moment factory. factory, moment factory to Ubisoft to my God. I mean, you know, there's so many of them. It's hard to name them all. But at the end of the day, I think we're just taking our our Quebec, whether Anglo-Saxon or French Canadian or, or from whatever origin di or diversity or origin. We work with a lot of uh, designers here locally um, and uh, and they're the ones who really, you know, bring that next level to sort of think because because. I won't kid you. There's things that it's hard to change, you know, like there's, there's some basic items sometimes that we will offer to complement uh, a planogram or a complete story for a specific retailer. We'll do that. But in often, I always ask the team, we, we have to differentiate ourselves. So, and you, you, you can't go into a price war because in any business, if you go into a price war, I mean, unless you're, I don't know who, Dollarama, and even then, you know, it's really hard. So we really have to, we owe it to, that's how we become a value added supplier to our customers and how you build a brand is to be, make sure that you are differentiating yourself. So it's the Quebec element. We do work with some designers also in the States because there is a cultural situation where you need to be aware that sometimes for certain products or certain uh, subcategories or lines will go very ethnic or will go very, um, depending on certain areas we sell to in the States or even Western Canada. I mean, the reality is that, you know, Canada is a mosaic. There are many, many cultures now more than ever. And that's the great news. Cause for me, I find that there's an, uh, an unbelievable amount of opportunities uh, in, in, in a brand like ourselves as lifestyle um, that can address that as, as the world uh, and as Canada and uh, other countries change. You mentioned supply chain earlier and you, you, you kind of alluded to this, uh, you know, uh, oh, everything within 30 days, except for maybe this year. So uh, clearly everybody we've spoken to has, has had comments on the on the sourcing and the supply chain. How, how has that affected you and what have you done to try and get around to some of the problems? Uh, 
it? Well, it's been massive, massive, massive. Uh, you know, I don't, I've, in my career in importing and distributing goods, I've never seen this, lived it. You would have told me that a container from from Asia to Bolingbrook, Illinois, or to Boucherville, Quebec would cost $20,000. I would have said, could you, I think you need to rest. Um, so the, the, it's never before seen, right? So we were, we, I think I'm very proud of the team. We did some very proactive things when we saw once COVID hit and the stores were closed and the stores reopened, when we saw that there was a lot of demand, I mean, we were lucky in our type of product, people are cooking at home. We couldn't go to the restaurant. So that really helped us. And a lot of our customers saw a tremendous amount of growth and some of our customers were allowed to stay open. So super unfair for other customers that were not allowed to stay open, but some of our customers were. So that really benefited us. But, you know, like I said, you get one good hit, but the next hit is that your cost of goods increases significantly because now the same value, if I bring over, um, you know, I don't know, an example, a container full of uh, kitchen gadgets, and I bring it over from China to Montreal, uh, it's not the same price it's going to cost us. So that's why you're all seeing and we're all living uh, mega inflation. So it's been uh, investing, supporting our customers. So we've invested a lot to support our customers. So we lead times as well. So there's not just um, the cost of the container, the fact that some of the uh, are, are undermakers, so people that manufacture for us in China and in uh, uh, Asia, all over Asia, all over Europe, um, were had a huge increase in demand. So now production lead times were much longer. And they, like here we have in Montreal, they have a lack of uh, personnel. So it's the, the whole supply chain was really disrupted. And uh, we decided to support our customers in that and bring in more inventory and make sure we were there to uh, make sure that they had stuff on, on the shelves. So that's really how we, um, the decisions that we took. And it was a real true show of support to those customers of ours that uh, were reliant on us to make sure we had, uh, we had the inventory. Um, it's been... Uh, a heck of a year because uh, you know lots of growth and some that we were not able to just you know materialize because we just couldn't get the inventory. So um, like so many other companies, like the world, really at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Last real quick question, uh, just on a branding perspective. Obviously, the Trudeau name a coincidence, but internationally, is there any is there any tangential benefit there that you derive from having the same name as the prime minister? <laughs> Depends, and sometimes it's not a good thing, even here <laughs> in Canada. Um, no, not really. I think that, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, of course, I often get uh, asked, you know, are am I related and this and that. But no, I think that at the, I, 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 unfortunately, I don't think that that we are as Canadians, maybe we're that important on the world stage that people really recognize that. And I will say we are an industry brand. Um, and one of my my goals is to become more of a consumer brand. But if you're an ind- industry brand, then the people, you know, it, all industries are not that big anymore for good or bad. So they know us, you know, they know our brand. They know that we do, we used to do fairs together with them and then it becomes one great community. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to do fairs very, very soon. Well, your business legacy is certainly uh, longer than the political legacy. So you have that working for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And people forget fast. So that's a good thing. Uh, Anne-Marie Trudeau, uh, we'll have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. But first, let's bring in our expert, Natalie Perkhart, HR consultant with FL Fuller-Landau's sister company, P-Visio. And we're going to talk, Mike, about office reintegration, post-COVID mode, and those new hybrid workplaces. Natalie, welcome back to the show. 
Thanks for having me. How is uh, how is your hybrid workplace mic going so far in the new year? It's uh, you know what it, it, it's interesting. I think it's taken people a long time to come back. Uh, you got to break the ice. We got to get everybody back. We got to get them in the front door. But you know, there's one there's one thing I, I I have to chuckle at all the time is I think COVID has been really good for the dictionary business, and the new terms and the new names that have come out of COVID. And you know, I think we're going to discuss one today, which is called the seamless workplace. Um, but you know, if you if you look at it, the seamless workplace is focused on basically on workplace integration. Uh, Natalie, what do you consider a seamless reintegration? Um, so the seamless project is really uh, around a system that flows nicely. So we try to take all of the components of what would be affected with this reintegration, this change that people are feeling and living every day. And how do we, you know, reinstate something or a new way of working uh, that will flow nicely? And we take into consideration the organization mission, values, and vision going forward. And we take into the consideration the team's perspective and how do we loop that all together uh, into a flowing process that is seen positively by all. And uh, how do we make sure we have the clear communication, the adequate resources, all of those steps are well thought out. So when we think about reintegration or really any kind of change that you would be putting forward, uh, it's smooth and it's and it's absorbed nicely, it's felt with positivity, and it really flows. I have to chuckle because uh, I'm not sure I've heard the word positive, exciting, and motivational in an HR discussion in about 20 months, 21 months. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe give us a little bit of uh, how do you get people on board? I mean, it's, it's not an easy process to, to bring everybody back in, in, the, in the mode that you mentioned. Right, yes. It's a, it's a very good point, and I can completely understand that. Uh, I think that... The start, this at the start of our project and the way that we're, we're structuring Seamless is really to understand where is everybody at. So I would say the start is a pulse, uh, starting with anonymous surveys, figuring out where, how does the team feel, discussions with management, what are the goals of management, and then how do we sew all of that in together nicely so that we take into consideration concerns and operations and we make everything um, you know, to the best of our, our capabilities, um, motivational and exciting. Uh, do we bring people back to the office, you know, gradually? Do we bring people with, you know, some activities? What are people looking for? What, what are the key points why they would be interested in returning? And how do we highlight those? Uh, what are the concerns as to why they would not want to return? And how do we, we mitigate those? You know, the organization coming back is is one story. You know, what, what you would like to see versus what happens is, is always a challenge. And, and no doubt, uh, you know, at the, at the beginning of a new year, I think everybody has used the December 31st cutoff as kind of that psychological deadline to, to try and bring people back into the new year. Um, what do you do when, you know, management wants people back and the people don't want to come back yet? They don't feel comfortable. Yeah, so I think that we have to focus a lot more on the why and not just do you feel comfortable or do you not feel comfortable? What is the reasoning behind that? And we will get, you know, some information from our pulse and then we can dig a little bit deeper. Uh, you know, sometimes there are anxieties that are deeply rooted. Sometimes there are anxieties that can be, you know, uh, resolved with the proper training and co coaching and structure in place. And how do we, as an organization, what are the decisions that you want to take to move forward uh, and to best support those anxieties? So as you were talking, you know, what do you think are the main benefits of putting together a seamless reintegration project? Well, I think that uh, organizations can really uh, benefit from a visualized plan with guidelines 
uh, kind of knowing what are their next steps, where can we take it from here, uh, having the confidence that there's a team involvement and a team buy-in. Um, obviously doing it with a third party uh, really helps to get that buy-in because it's like a neutral response and uh, the third party is seen as a, a resource provided to the team rather than an organization that's spearheading a change. Um, so I think it's it's really important to be structured, uh, to be able to visualize your plan and to have um, a, pr a clear line of communication and a constant communication. Um, having the plan guided by you know specialists that are also um, guide you into being agile, so that if there are bumps in the road, we can readjust and we can find ways uh, to make this work, uh, regardless of the bumps in the road and uh, past these obstacles. I was just going to say, I think it's I think it's important to note that not if there are bumps in the road, but when there are bumps in the road, there's no way that a reintegration, uh, no matter how optimistic and, and wholehearted everybody is trying, is going to find its way to being, you know, completely seamless. And, you know, it's it's going to be a challenge for all of us going forward uh, as we battle as we battle our way through, uh, you know, some rational and some irrational fears into uh, into an environment that still is uh, is carrying a lot of unknowns for people. So Natalie, as always, a uh, great job. And uh, you know, let let's hope that our own uh, seamless uh, reintegration goes as as smooth as you would like it to go. So, thanks again. Thank you, and I'm sure that it will. Natalie Perkhart, HR consultant with FL's sister company PVisio. Thanks so much, Natalie. Thanks, Tom. And now, towards the end of the show, we turn to Anne Marie Trudeau of Trudeau Corporation and ask her, please, for your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. It's very difficult to have a one piece of advice. But since you're forcing me to have one piece of advice, uh, kidding aside, I think that uh, I would tell any entrepreneur to trust themselves because uh, being an entrepreneur, uh, as a definition, you try a lot of things and you have a lot of ideas and you take a lot of risks. Some entrepreneurs maybe are more risk averse than others, but in general, and uh, when in times of uh, when it's challenging or where you're not sure you truly are your best advisor. So you've got to trust that level of instinct. Now, and I, like I said many times, you in business today, you got to be good at everything. That's the challenge. Everything's going 100,000 miles per hour. Things are going fast. Things are changing faster than ever. So surround yourself a lot of, you know, there's all the, there's, there's more, everybody says, surround yourself with all the, the right people and all that. To me, uh, it's an obvious statement, but trust yourself and listen to yourself. You're the best advisor to yourself and to your business. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie Trudeau, Trudeau Corporation. And uh, Mike, uh, an example, you know, we talk a lot about pivoting, especially post-pandemic, but here's a company that has pivoted historically and really is part of the, the fabric of their, their culture. It's probably the reason why they're going to continue to be successful going forward, coming through COVID. Well, a lot of people have, have pivoted, but some of them have done 360s. Um, you know, in this case, uh, you know, watching and listening to success stories, uh, you know, you, you don't last 132 years by chance. So, uh, you know, my hats off to Henry and, and, and the family business, but there's no doubt that they will continue to succeed and, and continue to do us proud. Pleasure meeting you, Anne-Mary. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Guy. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And a great start to the year, Mike, and we'll be back here next week. Don't forget todaysentrepreneur.org for over 13 years worth of inspiring entrepreneur stories and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And we'll be back here next week.
has been a production of TNKR Media. Good talk.